No, no, no. She's not a medical doctor, but she can sure cure your tax problems or your financial woes. She's the how-to girl. It's the Dr. Friday Show. If you have a question for Dr. Friday, call her now, 737-WWTN. That's 737-9986. So here's your host, financial counselor and tax consultant, Dr. Friday. Live from America's Music City, it may be Saturday where you are, but it's Friday all day, every day, all the time with the tax doctor, the tax lady, the doctor of accounting known in these parts of America as the Dr. <laughs> Friday, and right here she is. Hey, Dr. Friday. <laughs> hey, John, what an intro. The Dr. Friday. I like the way you play that. You know, there's only one. That's right. Only that's, one. That's true. <laughs> you are totally unique. Absolutely. You. Well, you know, it's kind of hard to believe. Here we are. You know, of course, we're we're talking taxes all the time because there are issues of things that are going on all the time. But we're really a little under six months to go before we close out 2019. And I guess, you right. know, some people ask, well, okay, now, when did all that tax stuff that Trump got passed kick in? So is it, it 29? Are we, are we going to see more benefit overall this year? If, we, if our business is the same or a person's, uh, you know, tax return pretty much the same as it was last year, is there going to be, is it like more goodies, more, you know, more money back this year? Or we've already seen what we're going to see? I think you're going to see what you want to see. I think the biggest is it went through in December of 2017, effective basically 18, which means a lot of people really couldn't make any change by the time 18 happened. So I think 18 might have been a surprise. Even the tax code itself didn't actually change W-2s, I want to say, until March or April so 18 was definitely a transition year, lack of a better term. Uh, so I think in 19, more people are going to have, it really won't change the tax law, but I think we're more prepared. You've had a whole year of withholdings at the new rates. You've had uh, t- the ability to make adjustments if your 18 was filed and you found out that you didn't have enough paid in or whatever. I would hope that people have made those adjustments to, uh, you know, to take care of the shortfall or if you've gotten too large of a refund to make the adjustments. And so you're not getting such a large refund. Gotcha. So pretty much the same story, minus, you know, some sort of minor adjustments there, like you talked about. We're we're pretty much set in concrete, if you will. We pretty much have a good idea of what we're going to look forward to this year. Right. And I think one of the bigger things is also from the tax preparer side of things, there was a lot of new tax law that many people maybe didn't have the time, uh, QBI being one qualified business income. Um, I think there was a lot of people, and even some of the tax softwares that were doing things incorrectly, they later found out and made some adjustments and corrections. Some people had to amend, but if, if you're doing your own taxes and you really aren't sure but you're a small self-employed, maybe you drive for a lift or you've got rentals and you're not sure what QBI even was, so you just basically said no or whatever. I mean, I think a lot of people are now getting a better handle on those. And if it would be a good time if you do your own tax returns and you have a rental or you do a small business and I'm talking what you're like sitting there scratching your head saying, what is Friday talking about when it says QBI? If you're not sure what a 199A or QBI is, Nine times out of ten, you may have missed some tax deductions on your 18 tax return. Wow. So if you don't know what QBI is, you may be in a little bit of trouble. Yes, it was a new term. It wasn't something that we had prior uh, under normal tax. There was uh, a 199A, but not it did not apply to the everyday, ordinary business owner. 
it did effectively as of the 1st of 2018, but uh, knowing myself how many classes and, and courses and just questions I've had to ask to really get a handle on it, I can't imagine an everyday ordinary, you know, I do my own taxes, I kind of say yes or no to these questions, uh, if that, that would have been done correctly or not. All right. Now, an important question to ask Dr. Friday in a moment, and some of you use this, and you will want to hear her answer to this. But first off, here's the phone number to call, because when we say live, that means you can call right now any tax question at all that you have. There are no dumb questions. Dr. Friday would tell you, you know, if you can put some additional money in your pocket, why give it away? Why make a mistake? Even if you could file for a refund of it later, but there's you know, an expense to do that too. And so, you know, uh, take care of your money. And the phone number to call right here, 737-WWTN, 737-9986. We're here until 3, so that means you've got about 52 minutes. Now's the time to jump on the phones and get your questions in. Dr. Friday will answer them here for you. So for those, Dr. Friday, who do this, and there's some of you out there who do this, so take a listen. They say, well, I listen, or I, you know, use this uh, software program. It's been out for years to compute my taxes and, you know, things do change and all this and that. How safe is it, you know, to put your hands into a computer software program? Because we've heard some horror stories over the years. I guess that'd be the, you know, number one. And then number two, if it does make a mistake, who pays? Can you blame the software company and say, no, 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 that's their fault. They need to pay the tax. How does that work? Right. Well, there's been several court cases uh, just to deal with the fact that I use this software, it made the mistake, therefore I shouldn't be liable for penalties or interest. In some cases, they're even thinking the tax. Um, and the courts have come back every single time basically saying, sorry, that you need to know enough about taxes to know that this mistake happened. Big rule of thumb, in my personal opinion, if you have a W-2, you're very, what I consider a simple tax return, especially under this current tax law where standard deduction is over 12000 married couples over 24000 a lot, lot less itemizing required, no employee reimbursements. Um, you probably could handle that because it, it would be pretty straightforward. But if the tax return is too good to be true or one way or the other, you owe a lot more this year than you did last year, you, you have a larger refund this year than you did last year, I would get a second opinion. I would and in many of these systems, they actually have someone you can call. I would contact somebody because once you fi- sign that tax return, it says you have filed this to the best of your ability. It doesn't say there's no mistakes. It just says to you the best of your ability. But it's harder to correct a mistake with the Internal Revenue Service than it is to catch it before you send it back to them. So always do your very best before you make the mistake, you know, and no one does it on purpose. I don't believe people intentionally make errors, but... You know, if it seems too good to be true, I've had people that come in my office and, you know, they're getting three and $4,000 more one year than the next. They thought it seemed odd, but they went ahead and filed it, got the refund. And, of course, then the government came back and said, wait, this is a big mistake. You owe us that 3000 now plus another 2000 for penalties, failure to pie, all this other stuff. Um, so the loan was very expensive. Wow, 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 wow. So, you know, when you sign it, you're basically, you know, uh, it's it's a, it's your deal. I mean, you can't say, well, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, gotcha. All right, let's go to the phone lines, and let's bring Dan onto the Dr. Friday Show. Dan, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Friday. Um, my mom passed away in January, and we're just now getting to sale of her house in July, and 
my son is starting school, uh, college uh, in August, and I want to see if there's a way I could use the proceeds from her sale of her house to uh, pay for his college without having to pay taxes on it. Uh, we do have a 529 plan, and she lived in Pennsylvania. So, Okay, so there's one good part of that conversation, and it's hard to find something good when I say someone's parent passed away, but in January, whatever the house was worth the day your mom passed away is the basis. So unless the house has a huge growth between January and July, which in this current market, there could have been a little bit of capital gains, but probably not a huge difference, you will pay zero tax. So, you know, whatever it was worth in January, let's say it's worth 300000 you sell it for 300000 there would be a zero tax to you or your the beneficiaries. So you can use the money. Certainly for college, there is no additional tax deduction available to you for doing that. But I would think that there's probably going to be a very small tax due um, to PA or to um, the federal government on that particular transaction. There may have been some other things that are taxable that mom left behind, but the house probably won't be one of them. Yeah, my brother said it was a 5% Pennsylvania tax of some sort. So that'll come off the top. And then when it split between the three of us, so I ought to take it declared on my taxes, and that part will not be taxed. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, that'd be the one part. No worries. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, I'll tell you what, it's nice to have some good news, isn't it, Dr. Friday? <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> it is always, especially after, you know, really bad things. At least it's nice to give people the advantage to say, hey, there is, you know, a little golden lining in this whole conversation. There really is. And we were talking about you before the show came on today, and there's one thing that people should know about you, and I like to brag on you because I know you don't brag on yourself, <laughs> and so I'm going to be the one that does it. But anyway, cool. uh, speaking of good news, there are people and clients that you've had. We talked about one that owed over $1 million, not, I mean, that's not a typo, over $1 million, received letters from the IRS, basically said, you know, you got to pay and try to get the money and probably eventually going to come get you. And this person found you and you were able to settle that for, how much was it? Just a little under $100,000. Wow. And I know you've had a number of cases like that, but if we take that one case right there. And of course, everybody's case is different. Circumstances are different and so forth. But you do hear, and you'll start hearing about in October, uh, and I think we may have heard a few commercials and seen some TV spots as well about, you know, we're going to, if you owe money to the IRS, you know, at least 10000 or whatever, you know, all this and that. And right. there was a national company that was spending just tons of money advertising. I think, uh, the state's attorneys general, whoever, I mean, would seem to be a scam or whatever yeah. and put them out of business. And so, uh, you know, what, what, in, in, in terms of that situation, what to be looking out for? How, how do you take a million down to a hundred thousand? I mean, just in general terms. Right. And that's actually a great question, John, because I have quite a few people. I mean, you know, once you get in and you really do want to get out, but so here's a couple different things I would first say, if you call any company, doesn't make a difference, including myself, any company, and the first things out of their mouth is, oh, yes, we can fix this problem, here's a payment plan, or send us 5000 and start sending us $500 a month, 
without looking at your case, which means they have to have power of attorney, which means they need to pull transcripts. They need to know how many tax years you're going to need to file. Um, is it even a case that they can settle? I mean, if you have equity in your home, if you've got access to a 401k, uh, um, how old is the debt? Did you just file all those years of taxes, you know, in the last year? The government has over 10 years, at least 10 years, to collect back debt. So obviously, older the debt, more flexible they're going to be in the ability to remove some of the penalties or make a deal with you. Um, Everybody doesn't get a deal. It's that simple. And more stable you are, probably less likely the deal. Now, I can tell you we've made some great deals. But in most cases, just as the one we talked about from the beginning of the show here, that situation is somebody that really had nothing else the government could go after. And part of it was also he hadn't filed a number of taxes and the IRS had done an assessment. So he never really owed the million dollars once we got their records corrected in the IRS side of things. So a combination is what it takes to make those things work. And and so I just, my biggest thing is I have people walk in and the first thing they say is, oh yeah, I called this company. They said they could take care of me. They haven't done anything in the last two years. I've been paying them so much money every month. And I'm like, well, what was the original questionnaire? And they're like, oh, this guy just said he could do it and all this. It sounds really good because the IRS is pressuring you. They're sending you love letters saying, oh, we're going to attempt to levy, lean, seize, all these different things. And you just want uh, a break and you feel like someone needs to do it. So make sure you get someone that's really going to represent you, not someone that's just looking to collect money. Good advice on that, especially if they're not a power of attorney. You are an enrolled agent with the right. Internal Revenue Service. People say, no, wait a minute, I don't want to talk to the IRS. Enrolled agent, doesn't that mean you work for the IRS? No, you do not. <laughs> You're an enrolled agent with. That means that Dr. Friday can represent you like an attorney could represent you in court. Same thing, she has access, once you give it to her, to pull anything and speak on your behalf. Is that how it works? Yes. Yes, I'm a license to represent the taxpayers. Yes, sir. You have trained me well. All right. (laughs) Folks, you're listening to the (laughs) Dr. Friday Show. We're live from Nashville. By the way, if you are ever outside the listening area of this radio station and want to hear Dr. Friday at this time every Saturday from 2 to 3, all you do is uh, on that smartphone of yours, download the app, the iHeart app, and search WWTN, and she will be right there for you. T-minus 43 minutes to go. That means jump on the phone lines now. Get the answers to your tax questions. The number to call, 737-WWTN, 737-9986. When we come back, we'll talk to Marsha in Nashville with a Social Security question and your questions. All next, John Haggard in the studio and the Dr. Friday on the telephone with all the answers. Here on Super Talk 99.7 WTN. Back segment number two, we are the Dr. Friday Show, live from Nashville. Dr. Friday on the telephone with all the answers to your questions. Call 737-WWTN, 737-9986. Do it now. T-minus 39 minutes to go. Get all the tax questions and answers you need answered right here on Super Talk 99.7 WTN. To Nashville we go as promised. Here's Marsha on the Dr. Friday Show. Hi, Marsha. Hey, how you doing? Good. Hey, Dr. Friday. Enjoy your show. I have a question about Social Security. Um, If someone is collecting Social Security, I know that there's a limit of other income that they can bring in before there's a tax on top of it. 
Is that limit computed on whatever the net, let's say it's a little side business or a couple of K-1s that account for a little money? Is it the net after all expenses, if it's like a sole proprietorship or a partnership, is it the net or is it the gross? Well, it would be, I guess, if it was a K-1, it may be the net of box one minus box 12, which would be like accelerated depreciation, right, that would fall down onto box 14. So it would be theoretically the net on all cases. Schedule C, it would be what you're actually putting, what you actually claim as income. You can have a million-dollar sales, but if you only made 5000 then right. 5000 is what they're going to offset against your provisional income um, or, or the, the tax that will start coming in on your Social Security if you make more than, I think it's 17444 or something in that ballpark if um, if you're under the age of full retirement. If you're over, it's half of your retirement, and then they add that to whatever your income is, and it becomes... Um, um, taxable, you know, they don't, they don't take any benefits back, but it would be taxable potential. Taxable. And is it taxable at whatever your rate happens to be at the moment, or is right. it some sort of okay? So basically, no, it follows the ordinary income si- rate. So basically, if you have a little side business, but you have expenses against it, it's whatever your net income is that's going to be put into question as to whether or not you're under or over the limit. That is correct, yes. They're looking at what did you really put in your pocket, not what did you earn. Okay, great. Thank you so much. North. All righty, 223, Dr. Friday all the time, Super Talk 99.7 WTN. We hear a lot about family and medical leave, and some companies do provide that, I guess, and some don't. But um, there are some possibilities there that some employers who do provide paid family and medical leave to their employees – in 2019, might qualify for a new business tax credit, or are we understanding that correctly? Well, that's what we're understanding, yes. Um, if you provide uh, medical leave or family medical leave, which theoretically could be for the, the wife has the child and the husband is uh, going to come home and help take care of them, that there is going to be um, some credits available to businesses um, that offer those kind of business. But I will tell you, there is a couple of outstanding things when it comes to that, that, you know, they may be eligible for the uh, 2018-2019 tax credits. You're going to find that under a publication with the IRS um, of 455, 45S, sorry. And to be quite honest with you, I think when you're really getting into this kind, you also have insurance credits and different things that will come. If you're in a large enough business, and some of this is going to have to do with how much per year you're paying. Um, many of it's going to be based on uh, how much you pay for family leave. Um, you know, the amount cannot exceed certain things, like 50% of the wage. Um, so it, it's going to be one of those things that your human resource uh, individual is going to definitely need to be tracking. Uh, but there is some credits out there, and there's a couple other new ones uh, with health insurance and things like that coming out Um so if you're interested, if you have this uh, family leave, maybe you have a small family corporation and you offer family medical leave because most of the people are family one way or the other, check out a form 8994. You'll find it was a, a new one that came out in 2018, and it is available for review. And you might see that's maybe one of those things that you did offer in 18 and you didn't know anything about the new credit, and boom, you may have put a few more dollars in your pockets. 
Got it. You know, there are a lot of small businesses where husband and wife work together or two brothers or two mm-hmm. sisters or brother, sister, that, that type of thing. Is there any danger in filing taxes, brother, sister, that type of thing where the IRS would come back or there's some way that not to qualify? Say, well, hey, well, that's a family member. And, you know, really, you're just, um, you, you know, you're just trying to pick up an expense by giving them something. So how does that work? I mean, how is it? How does so, how do you? Yeah. yeah. So the biggest <laughs> thing is and the same thing happens with children. I'm a firm believer that with small self-employed businesses, my father was a prime example. Um, you know, kids have a tendency to learn and to work with the parents. But to, to make it legitimate, you must have a true job. You must pay them true wages, which means an actual paycheck every single week, if that's how often you pay, monthly, whatever it might be. And you must treat them as an employee. You can't just give them a paycheck every week and the kids are out at the beach and they're traveling or whatever, and they couldn't be working the hours that you're saying that they're working. There's a fairly good um, court case, again, that came out where a mom basically said she paid her child so much money, but she paid him in pizza. So she wrote it off as wages, but she said it was because she never wrote him a check. She just brought pizza all the time for him um, and his friends. And, of course, the IRS said, sorry, Charlie, that's kind of a parent thing, not a true employee. So husband, wife, brother, sister. I mean, I'm a family. My brother works for me. My my niece works for me. But there is hours, there's salaries, there's, you know, check-in, check-out, and work that is justifiably being done to justify that. So nothing wrong. Love family businesses, but you really do need to make sure that if you're going to offer benefits and you're going to pay salaries and you're going to do that, that just as if it was a stranger that you have the same uh, rules and obligations that the family members have to follow. Gotcha. So in other words, just follow the same rules. It doesn't really matter if they're related or not. As long as you have the backup documentation, the timesheets, what they've done, no mm-hmm. no fear there. Exactly. Gotcha. All right. What about, uh, you know, a lot of people are self-employed as well. It's kind of hard to understand the difference. If you're self-employed, say, okay, so I own my own business. Am I also an employee of that business or is there a way to get, if I own the company and I work for the company, is there a way to get any additional tax benefit on that or how does that work? Okay, so a lot of times um, people want to become, one of the first things, what kind of entity should I be, right? Should I be an LLC? Should I be a corporation? Should I be a partnership? Uh, should I just stay a sole proprietorship? And when I'm, and, and again, this is not going to be legal advice, just a little caveat. This is a tax advice. So, for my opinion, when someone is starting out a small business, the last thing you want to have to do is meet additional regulations and make sure that you're making, you know, code and all these different things. And payroll being one, one of the biggest problems people get into in small business is payroll taxes. So, if you're starting out just you and your wife, or maybe just yourself. Um, start out as a sole proprietorship because then you can take draws. And what's nice about a sole proprietorship schedule C from the tax code is that you get credit for half of your social security tax on the front of your 1040. So even though we, we still pay, we really only pay, um, half of our social security as a sole proprietorship. Now, if you go into a corporation and you want to be your own employee, myself, I work as a corporation. I have myself on salary. The corporation has to pay half, and I have to pay half just as any other employee. So the taxes go up as you go into different entities and the types of uh, payroll that you're going to go into. Uh, So 
I would always have people double check, you know, the situation. Maybe it's better to carry a lot of general liability or limited liability protection and stay a sole proprietor versus going into uh, an entity like a partnership or corporation where now you have franchise excise tax plus you'll still have additional payroll taxes that you're not paying as a sole proprietor. So, yes, um, there are benefits in, in, in having a corporation, but most of the time it really only comes with the growth and success of a company. If you're not making money, those benefits go away very quickly. Gotcha. So in this situation, in terms of just paying into Social Security, whether you are a sole proprietor uh, or an employee, your part of that is still the same? Is that right, what you're paying in? That is correct. Exactly. But uh, as a sole proprietor, there's no employer. So we get credit for the employer portion. So we don't pay it because it's actually a credit on your tax return. If anyone looks on their 1040, you'll see a credit for Social Security on the front. Well, it used to be on page one of the 1040. Now it's under section, I think, schedule one. Um, So, yeah, sole proprietor gets the best deal because you get as much credit as every other person that contributes to Social Security, but you don't actually pay as much in as the employer-employee relationship. Gotcha. Folks, it's 2.30. You're listening to the Dr. Friday Show live from Nashville. Dr. Friday, by the way, if you've just joined us and maybe the first-time listener that you could be, because there are always those. we got, what, 125 people, including 25 babies, moving into Nashville every single week. So <laughs> what Dr. Friday is... An enrolled agent with the Internal Revenue Service. No, she does not work for the Internal Revenue Service. I think they ought to make that a different, you know, nomenclature or something because it sounds like, well, she works for IRS. I don't want to talk to them. But uh, an enrolled agent, folks, uh, what she can do for you is represent you like an attorney can for you in a court of law. So if you've got some problems or, as Dr. Friday says, you're tired of the love letters and you just don't want to talk to them anymore, she can legally represent you as an enrolled agent with the Internal Revenue Service. When we come back, we'll be taking your phone calls. We're down to 28 minutes, T-minus 28. So now is the time to jump on the phones, get the answers to your questions, because we'll be gone at 3 o'clock. Phone number to call now, 737-WWTN, 737-9986. John Haggard in the studio, Dr. Friday on the phone with all the answers and your phone calls all next here on Super Talk 99.7-WTN. Back to segment number three. We're live from Nashville. It's the Dr. Friday Show. Dr. Friday on the telephone with all the answers. Your questions. Now the time to call. 737-WWTN-737-9986. T-minus 24 minutes. Time is flying. Get the answers to those questions. Keep more money in your pocket. If you got a problem with the Internal Revenue Service, Dr. Friday can also represent you just like an attorney would in a court of law. You don't ever have to talk to him again. So call now, 737-WWTN-737-9986. Back to Nashville we go. Let's bring Troy on to the Dr. Friday Show. Hey, Troy. Hey, how's it going? Going good. How's it going with you? Doing all right. I'll get to what I want to talk about then. Um, so I own a, a routine company, and um, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not really big yet. I, you know, will we'll probably do it. Around two hundred thousand for the year as as far as my profit. Mm-hmm. So I went under a a um, a corporation. Uh, I was advised by my tax guy that that's what I should do. So, but of course, you know, I didn't ask around or anything. I just started it, um, and so 
you were talking about being a sole proprietor versus the corporation, but what's the threshold between like, okay, once you make this much money, then you need to, you know, change to, I mean, I guess I'm just trying to figure out, is being a corporation uh, incorporated a better thing for me if I'm right around $200,000 as far as profit margin? Well, yeah, because there is some nice things we can do. We could set up a, I mean, again, my opinion is you need to also have a retirement account that, that if you're making 200000 there are some ways we can defer income uh, and you can do more successfully through a corporation. You could actually set yourself up on a salary, which is actually much easier to live off of versus the flexibility of, of a sole proprietor that often is some, sometimes are living more paycheck to paycheck. Um, so, yeah, it gives us a lot more control and there's ways of deferring. If you're making 200000 I would say a corporation. I'm, I'm projecting. I'm, I'm around. Or uh, I apologize. I'm, I'm projecting to be around two hundred. Um, you know, not even a year in, I'm probably getting already to around a hundred. So, I mean, I think you need – Decent roofing company should probably do about that, I would imagine, maybe even more. Yeah, well, many roofing. And then you also have, with a roofing company, um, you also have a lot of liability issues. So probably having the shield of a limited liability is a good idea. Um, I would also have great general liability insurance and, you know, work comp and all those things that go along with it. But um, do you know if you're a C corporation or an S corporation? Yes. Uh, Oh, uh, you know. My wife is helping me out a lot with that. She's kind of like behind the scenes kind of person. So I uh-huh. I want to say escort, but I I okay. could I could be wrong, and I probably shouldn't no, know it. But I let her do. And you're probably you're probably ninety nine percent correct. That's what I would suggest you being as an escort. Um, and so you know the biggest thing is is making sure you're dealing with a good tax person because you're going to want to make sure that you're distributing out as much as you can through payroll at the end of the year so you don't pay big franchise excise taxes um so you need to make sure you're dealing with someone that's going to you know work with you throughout the year and not just do your taxes at the end of the year because there are ways of deferring uh between retirement and uh bonuses to to you and your wife if you're the employees and things to keep your uh taxes as low as possible at least yeah, well, maybe we'll be looking in, into doing a private conversation with you and meeting you or something. To, sure. Um, we, we no might worries. Actually, be looking for a different tax person. So. Well, I'd be more yeah. than glad to sit down and at least go over okay. the numbers with you. All right. So, but basically, what I'm taking away from this is being incorporated under about what it we're making. Bad. That's that's not like a terrible thing. I'm not I'm not making a bad move right now. No, sir. I don't think you've made a bad move. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, that feels a little good. Thank you, ma'am. Okay. Thanks. 239, Dr. Friday all the time. Super Talk 99.7 WTN as we've been talking about reporting requirements and partnerships and sole proprietorships and all that type of thing. Are we seeing any new reporting requirements for partnerships in any way? Well, seems like there is, and this is a big one because we haven't had to do basis on actual returns many times, and people are like, well, what's the basis? Well, just like we talk, you hear me a lot of times talk about the basis of a home with someone passed away, you know, they inherit a step-up in basis. Well, in a partnership, the basis is 
How much money have you put in over the years? Have there been profits that haven't been distributed? Because you could actually be in business and theoretically have a negative basis. And that just means that you've distributed. Maybe you took out some loans and maybe the money was distributed to the partners um, as a form of payback, whatever. Um, and if that is the case, um, you can't take losses on a company. The basis is very important. If you owe money, because you have income, that's one thing. If there's a loss, you can't take a loss if there's a loss in basis. And up till now, we really haven't had that reported on the tax returns. In 2018, that was a new situation that we had to go back and track down. And uh, you may find that your tax bill goes up a little bit because accountants uh, were having to, um, you know, put basis on, which is um, a little bit more documentation required from our standpoint. So, um, yes, there is some new reporting needing, um, and if you do your own taxes, you need to be reporting that as part of your K-1 to the IRS, so they may turn around and, and send back a little love letter saying we need more information about your K-1 information. All right, folks, so, you know, it gets complicated. It really does, <laughs> and if you're in these situations, best to get advice rather than to be caught on the back end, especially with penalties and things like that. You know, and there's one thing that never goes away and seems to be getting perhaps more serious as time goes on, and that is fraud, where people are trying to steal one's identity and trying to, um, you know, open up credit cards and and things in your name and all this type of stuff, uh, and calls from the Internal Revenue Service. And speaking of calls from the Internal Mm -hmm. Revenue Service, what is really valid? What's a true call? Because, you know, you can spoof they got these people who spoof, you know, so you look at your caller ID and it looks like the number that's uh, from the IRS. So do they call collecting debt or uh, how does that work? Okay, so the IRS can call you. Um, they usually will not call you unless there's already been a number of love letters sent to you. But if they're not getting responses or if there's an open case with a, a collections they could call you. What they will not do is ask for your banking or credit card information or ask you to go down and wire money to them. Um, they will not threaten you with the police coming to your door. Um, this is standard collections, and if for any reason they're asking you anything, even if it's just like they don't know your, your name properly or they asking for um, your Social Security number over the phone, um, you know, anything that you feel uncomfortable, hang up the phone call the IRS directly, um, and there's local numbers as well as 800 numbers you can get. Call them and then ask if there's an issue or deal directly. Get the name of the agent, call the local revenue and say, is there a you know, revenue officer with this name? He's knocking at my door. Um, you know, So don't ever feel just because they say they're the Internal Revenue Service that you need to open a door or answer any questions until you're sure you're really talking to a true agent. So really, great advice on if you feel somebody's asking these types of questions, say, look, I'm going to hang up and I'm going to call back. Because if you initiate the call, that you know what the number is that you're calling in to and check right. it that way. Yeah, just don't reveal. Right. Yeah. Don't yeah. reveal. And if, it's, and if it's coming out of New York City and they're calling us here in Nashville, Tennessee, I would immediately double check. I mean, I would just basically hang up and call because if it's a local agent, it's going to come from our 
some digits after that, or it's going to come from an 800 number that they're calling from. Very rarely are you going to get someone out of Washington, D.C. calling for collections in Nashville, Tennessee. We have our own collection. So just just be smart. Don't share information. If for any reason they make you feel uncomfortable, just just hang up the phone. Start again with, you know, somebody. Absolutely. Well, folks, you're listening to the Dr. Friday Show. Time is really flying. We're now down to T-minus 14 minutes. So if you've been sitting around saying, well, I'll call here in a minute, now's the time to call and get that free tax advice. No matter what your situation, now's the time to call. 737-WWTN-737-9986. John Haggard in the studio. Dr. Friday on the phone with all the answers to your questions and your phone calls. We'll take them all live next on Super Talk 99.7-WTN. the Allman Brothers Band, if I remember. What a great tune that is. Super Talk 99.7 WTN as we go into the final 11 minutes now of the Dr. Friday Show. This is the place you get all the answers if you've just tuned in for the first time to all your tax questions. The advice is free. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 737-WTN-737-9986. Do it now. Got a few minutes left here on the show. You know, when you own and operate a business, Dr. Friday, a lot of people wonder sometimes. There are a lot of lawsuits. I mean, just, you know, there seem to be lawsuits mm-hmm. so crazy today about anything, no matter what it is. But uh, are there any limits or, uh, you know, let's say you're an employer and, you know, you're getting sued by an employee and you're going to have some legal expenses. I mean, they're just going to be part of that. Is there anything you can't take a tax credit for or anything that an employer should look out for? Uh, as it you know defers to um, the ability to deduct legal fees. Well, a legal fee basically has to be deducted when it when it determines the the case has to be something directly against the business itself. So so often people will be paying legal fees, and one of the first things we find out later is they are paying for their divorce through the business. Um, or, you know, something along those lines. And it has to be a part of ordinary and necessary. We use those words a lot because it's the same thing as any other tax deduction for a business. So if you're defending your license or you're defending someone sues you because you're a home builder and they say, well, you didn't do something right and you end up in court, that's, the, you know, your reputation, you're defending it. So it's part of your ordinary and necessary uh, things. If it's that you were driving to work and you ended up in a car accident, has really nothing to do with the business, but, you know, I was was going to head towards work there or whatever, that might be a gray area. But one of the bigger areas I've often found is people just putting in under legal fees, I hate to say it, but things that happen within their household, gotcha. you know, especially divorce or, you know, something the kid, you know, their child gets into a car accident and they end up having to settle something for court and they try to run that through the business. So it has to deal with um, the appropriate uh, amount and how it affects your, your business, period. All right. The key is it's got to be a legitimate business expense. That would be sort of the simple way of knowing what you can deduct yes. or not. Gotcha. All right. Let's uh, jump back on the phone lines, bring Randy on to the Dr. Friday show. Randy, you're on the air with Dr. Friday. Thank you. Hi, uh, yes. I, I have... Uh, I am retired. I've been uh, retired for several years, and I'm also on. Uh, I, I'm a disabled, and I haven't filed taxes 
for several years, and uh, I've not I've not worked, not been able to work. But I, the medication that I've on now has enabled me where I can do a little stuff. And my grandson is wanting me to work for him for uh, a while. What would I have to do, or what what kind of shape am I in on that? Well, I mean, um, you say uh, you're on Social Security disability. Yes. Okay. Are you? How old are you? Seventy-one. Okay. So, yeah. Either way, you're on Social Security at this point. Um, so, the, so your benefits would not be affected, but they could become taxed. It would depend on how he's going to pay you. If you're just going to, if you're going to be a salesperson or something and, and make a 1099, then you'll have to make sure that you're holding out enough taxes. You know. Social Security, Medicare, you will still have to pay in on that along with uh, possible ordinary income tax or if he's going to treat you as a W-2. But either way, your benefits, your Social Security disability benefits at the age of 71, you're not going to lose any of those benefits uh, if you start making more than, you know, $15,000 a year. They may start taxing those benefits. But other than that, you are uh, pretty safe to, to go to work without having any effect on your current life, I would think. I mean, from the tax okay. standpoint. Uh, will there be any repercussion because I have not filed in several years? No, sir, because you were not required. We only have to file taxes when we're required. And if you were living off of uh, Social Security only or Social Security disability, there is no taxes required. Okay. All right. That's what I was concerned about because I was afraid that, you know, I might have to go back and prove stuff from back several years. No. No, sir. And that's okay. not as long as, I mean, if that was your only income source, then you were, you were within compliance and you're fine. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's some other good news, isn't it? I'll tell you, I'm doing pretty good with the phone oh, calls today. I'll tell you, you really are. <laughs> you, you really are. Because usually, you know, this bad news out there, I mean, it's just the way it is. Exactly. But, yeah, it's kind of nice. 253, folks. Got a few more minutes here if you want to call in, get you a quick answer to the Dr. Friday Show, 737-WWTN, 737-9986. Let's take this scenario. Let's say that somebody was in a house, their own house, their primary residence. They may be in there about two years, one year, ten years, however long it is. And they said, you know... We're going to downsize, don't need this big size uh, house anymore, and, and so we're going to turn it into a rental property, and then later on decide, uh, you know, maybe it's been five or ten years, think, you know what, we want to sell that thing, it's just kind of a hassle, and we just don't want to fool with it, and we want to, we think there's some profit in it, and we're just going to, going to do that. So how does it work uh, in terms of, you know, what you gain and what you lose in terms of what you can claim, and how does all that work? Right. So you basically, um, if you have lived in the house, let's just use a Philly scenario that, that happens a lot in my office at least. So if someone has lived in the house two out of five years, they decide that they're going to rent it out. They rent it for another five or six years. Well, it's no longer your primary residence, so it's fallen outside of that tax break or the, the, the deduction we get to have. So now it's basically investment property, just as if you invested into any other rental, you're going to have the depreciation that we've taken every single year, and we call it recapture of depreciation, which means that if you've brought a $200,000 home and you've depreciated you know, $10,000 of it, that's going to become taxable at ordinary income rates, as well as 
maybe there was another $25,000 gain because the house appreciated and you were able to sell for more than you purchased, that's going to be taxed at long-term capital gains, which would be anywhere between 15 to uh, 20% uh, tax. So it's not a simple answer, John, because unfortunately you'll be dealing with double tax situation where you have not double tax, but you have two tax codes. You'll have ordinary income on recapture and capital gains tax on the gains from the property. And both of those have to be calculated to really figure out how much you have, uh, how much you would owe in taxes when you decide to sell an investment property. All right. So the best thing in that situation, of course, get some advice because <laughs> <laughs> it can be a little complicated. What about this? Complicated. Yeah. What, what if um, What if you move and you, you know, the IRS is trying to get a hold of you and you say, well, I never got the, you know, I never got the, uh, the notice. Uh, what happens there? Are you still responsible for that? You are. And that's, it's become more and more popular that the IRS has now basically come right out and said, if you haven't contacted us and confirmed the address in our system and we then mail out to the most recent one that we show in our system, which may not have been the most recent one on your most recent tax return, whatever, and they send it out and you don't get it and now penalties have assessed because you were unable or did not know about it, the government says, sorry, Charlie, guess what? You didn't tell us. You did not make sure we had the right address. Therefore, we're going to make you responsible for the taxes. Now, sometimes you can get waivers. Sometimes they will, you know, grant a, a waiver uh, if you've got enough documentation. But there has been, again, many court cases where people have said, hey, we made, we contacted the government. We have proof. We mailed in letters, and our address was correct on these letters, but the IRS was sending somewhere else. And the IRS has won all of those cases basically saying, again, sorry, Charlie, your, your fault. You moved, and you didn't make sure we knew where you were at. Right. Okay. So your responsibility, you can't say, well, I forgot, and, you know, all this and that. Mm-hmm. So you exactly. better tell mm-hmm. Ain't no excuses <laughs> when you're dealing <laughs> with the Internal Revenue Service. Well, folks, another great hour with Dr. Friday here on the telephone. If you did not get on the air today, here's what you can do. I'm going to give you Dr. Friday's phone number. It's 615-367-0819, 615-367-0819. That's how you get a hold of Dr. Friday, or if you would rather uh, email her, very simple address, Friday at drfriday.com. That's Friday at drfriday.com. And you might want to head over to the web, too, and learn more about Dr. Friday at drfriday.com. One more time, her telephone number 615-367-0819 and you can email her friday at drfriday.com did you know that a thousand years from today you will be alive the question is where did you know that many people are just 12 inches away from heaven that's the distance from their head to their heart they believe in jesus christ in their mind but they have never accepted him in their heart and the biggest decision you will ever make in your life is where you are going to spend eternity and you get to choose where you do If you don't know if you're going to go to heaven right now, I can help you settle it right now. Just say after me, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I proclaim you my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. That's it. God willing, we'll see you next week on the Dr. Friday Show. John Haggard saying so long, everybody.